All right. Let's see, James chapter 2, he told you, I warned you for the last couple of weeks, so we'd start taking bigger sections as we went through this. Look, 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 two weeks in a row, big sections, so be excited. We're, we will get through the end of the book, I promise, one day. Um, always remember, the reason why we took the time that we took in chapter 1 is so that you don't forget all of that stuff. So, we're going to recap it every time. Because <laughs> if you don't, we're going to lose it all somewhere. So, in light of... James's exhortation. Well, stop. What is James's exhortation based on? Well, it's based on who he is in Christ because of the work that Christ has done. In light of that gospel truth, James is, ex- is exhorting the people to live holy lives, trusting and building upon God in his work. So in light of that, we're now getting to the point where we're trying to answer some objections and make sure make some application. So last week was all about your hypocrisy, which is, again, I've told you, a top five complaint. Can't join your church. It's full of hypocrites. And what's the right answer to that? There's always room for one more. There's always room for one more. That is always the answer to that objection. There's always room for one more. Come on down. We're good. Just like the price is right. Come on down. You're the next contestant. It'll be okay. Now, that was last week's. What is this week's? Well, let's think through this logically. If I am saved by grace through faith, and not of works, and not of myself, then why, James, do you keep demanding I keep doing so much stuff? (laughs) That's what this section is all about. And let's not act like, hold on, let's not act like if you have been paying attention to the evangelical popular culture of the last 20 years that this isn't an actual problem. Because there are always, remember, okay, we're, you know it's going to be a bad day when we're already to the front of the podium. We haven't even read a Bible verse yet. You know, it's, you know we're in trouble. We drive where? Where do you drive? On the road. Not in the ditch or on the sidewalks, right? So why do we do that? Because that's not where the road goes and that's where the problems are. Now, there are ditches on which side of the road typically? Both sides. We do not want to fall into the ditch of legalism. We do not want your Christianity to be a list of do's and do nots. That is not how you got here. That is not how you live here. That is not what this is supposed to be. However, we do not avoid this ditch by going into that one. And the other one is, well, you know, I'm just saved by grace, and you have to trust me and live by grace, and I'll live by grace, and you trust your grace, and I'll trust my grace, and grace, grace, and don't you tell me anything about how to live because we have grace, and you can't judge that, and I have grace. You can't live like that. That's the ditch on the other side. And this has become a problem. There's a place we drive in the middle. Saved by grace through faith. Yes, unto good works God has prepared beforehand. We're going to read that again later. Keep that in the back of your mind. You are saved from something. You are also saved to something. And those distinctions matter. And that's going to be the thrust of what we talk about today. So, with that in mind... Ready to read a Bible verse? Okay. Verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Well, this is what's known as a rhetorical question. The answer is supposed to be obvious. Let's go back. Who is James building his teaching on? Give me the Sunday school answer. (laughs) Remember your children's Sunday school. When in doubt, yeah, ever ask children who don't know the answer something in Sunday school, what are they going to do? Jesus. Who put the animals in the ark? Uh, Jesus. Mm. Then you want to be mad because technically, you know, (laughs) 
It's like, I want to be mad at him and tell them they're wrong, but you know, technically. So when in doubt, you know, go, go with it. No, he's building his letter. He's building his life. The apostolic teaching is built upon the foundation, the cornerstone that is Christ. So let's maybe go back to see some of the things that Christ has said. John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Luke 6, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? You can't say you're mine and then be like, but I got it from here. Like, I know you told me that this is the road we should go on, but, you know, I kind of like that road over there. So it'll all get to the same place in the end and work out in the same way. This is a rhetorical question. The answer is, if your faith has no produce, then it is not saving faith. Why? Because this is what is supposed to be in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold! New things have come. And yes, I'm contractually obligated by no one to do that every time. I can't not read the word behold like that. I'm sorry. I've conditioned myself. You're just going to have to get over it. But this is the gospel produce. New heart. We've covered this little, um, it's not a syllogism. I don't know if it's a math equation or what it is, but new heart leading to new desires, leading to new thinking, leading to new actions. If I take a human being and I change everything about who they are, will they live their life the same way? The answer should be no. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do for you in Christ, Christian? (laughs) Changes who you are in every single way. Therefore, you should live your life differently. So here's the beginning. Remember this. Verse 15. If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Again, rhetorical question. What's the answer? None. And you're laughing at how I read that. But that's, I mean, think about the mindset of this. This is the person that comes to you in church and goes, you know, God has just really laid it on my heart that somebody needs to volunteer to take out the trash. (laughs) You know who just volunteered, don't you? No, you know who just volunteered? You did. See, we talked about this last week. You don't get to give me the God told me that you need to do stuff. That's not how this game gets played. I need Bible verses. I need an objective standard. If you care about something, if you are moved to something, then who is the person that God has put at the head of that? You! You care. You're moved. You are concerned. What better for me to do? Go find someone who doesn't care, who isn't moved, so that you can explain to them what you think is a good idea, and then they can hopefully do it? That's not good management. That's not good anything. No, it has been placed upon your heart. You care about it. Therefore, Yamul, technical term, the great prophet Yosemite Sam, Yamul, yeah, 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 yeah. Keep getting in the right direction. What would this look like in a church where you have someone who is literally starving, literally freezing to death, and they come in and we go, you know what we should do? We should pray that God would send them someone who could maybe get them some food. All right, everybody join hands. You know who he sent? He sent the church. Who are his people in the world to do these good works? His people whom he has redeemed. You were there when the problem occurred. You know who's supposed to help with it? 
You. He sent someone. That's why, again, this is a rhetorical question. That's why I said, just think about the mindset that you would see a fellow believer. And again, remember the church. This is why understanding who our author is and who he's writing to was so important. James, half-brother of Christ, changed by the work of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, writing to who? The twelve tribes dispersed, who are who? Everyone, the believers. Why are they dispersed? Remember the occasion for the letter. Get your bulletins out. What's the name of the picture? Remember the name of that painting, that glorious, lovely painting that I refuse to take off your bulletin? The martyrdom of James. The occasion for this letter is that Herod is killing people. Killing them. If you're a Christian, there is no, no, no cultural benefit to being Christian in James's world. Less than zero. One, you're stuck in Jerusalem for a lot of these people because you don't want to go home because this is the church at this point. They don't want to go anywhere else because there's nowhere else that they know that this work is being done. Two, the Jews hate you. The Romans don't trust you. There's not enough money. There's not enough work. There's not enough food. There's not enough anything. This is a terrible place to be, but it's where God and his work are. Therefore, it's where his people are. They are being killed, tormented. They are starving. They are cold. They are hungry. All the wonderful, terrible things about life, right? Now, you are in the midst of that, and you sit there and go, well, you know, go in peace. Be filled. Is that loving your neighbor? No. Again, Christian, why do you stand? Because of the work of Christ. Because of your goodness? No. Because of your sheer awesomeness? No. You're beggars who have found bread. And then you look at the other beggars and say what? Hey, look, there's more. It's the same thing from the spiritual perspective into the earthly perspective. Now, again, where does James get such a radical idea of caring about his neighbor? John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And I got news for you. Love demands an actual action. Always remember this other part. Love is a decision. Okay? Forget every movie you have ever seen, every Hallmark card you have ever read. Love is a decision. You decide to tolerate that other person in your marriage. You decide to tolerate your children and all the weirdness they put you through. You decide how you think about the things of this world. Our standard is never your feelings. Ever, 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 ever. Who doesn't care about your feelings? Come on. Who in this room do you know without a shadow of a doubt doesn't care about your feelings? Me! Me! I don't care how you feel, remember? I care what you know. And I care that how you live is guided by what you know. Now, do I want you to feel bad? No, I'm not that mean. My wife is not in here to contradict that, so, okay, <laughs> I'm safe. <laughs> She's filling in for Ginger on Kids Church. I can say more bad things about myself and her. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, mostly. But when I say I don't care about how you feel, when you go, I just don't feel like, stop right there. No good is going to come from the next words out of your mouth. 
Because it's going to be something like, I just don't feel like God is close to me, or I don't feel like God has loved me, or I don't feel like, I, I don't care. What is the objective reality of human existence? That Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of course you feel unloved. You've recognized your sin and your depravity before God. You should feel a little unloved. You should feel a little bit rotten. But know that in the midst of that, Christ has still died. Christ has still loved and lifted you up. Christ has still declared you righteous. I just don't feel like God can love me the way that I am. Righteous. Declared righteous in him. Remember, have been saved, are being saved, will be saved. You are righteous before the throne of God right now. Why? Because Christ has declared it so. Christ's work has made it so. You are now undergoing the process of sanctification. You are seeking to purge the sin and iniquity of your life because of the saving work that has been done and the saving work that is being done with the hope and realization that that saving work will be completed in eternity. You work because you have already accomplished. It is mostly done. Is that what he said? It is sort of accomplished. It is kind of ready to go. It is finished. It is finished. These things matter and they have bearing on your life. Even so, so James is going to summarize here, verse 17, even so, faith if it has no works, is dead being by itself. This, is, this should be obvious from actual Bible history. All right, go home and read your whole Old Testament and you'll see this. Sound like fun? You got that kind of time this week? Okay, probably not. So let's read a good summary of the people of the Old Testament. Who thinks they know where that can be found? Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. Go home. So if you're in my Sunday school class, what is your homework? Isaiah 53, and I'm going to add to that Hebrews 11. Their faith and their hope moved them to things. Verse 4, verse 7, verse 8, verse 17, verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, verse 28. Their faith in God and his promises and his accomplishments moved them to actually do stuff, to accomplish things by his power for his glory. Now, this is where it's going to get really fun. Anything less than that is paganism. And I'm not even kidding. You may slap the word Christian on it, but it's paganism because it is a man-made philosophy. It is a religion that has been formulated upon your ideas, your hopes. And what do we call man-made religions? Pagan. They're, they're pagan. I, I, <clears throat> Speaking of evangelical pop culture, what year is it? Um, about seven, eight years ago, I had a gentleman bring me a book. And he's like, this book is really interesting, but I'm not really sure how to take it. Do you mind looking at it? <sighs> i trying to remember the exact title, but I think it was called The Christian Atheist. Drove me up a wall. Because the entire premise of the book is, well, we claim the name of Christ, but we live like this. Mm, there's a word for that. There's a word for that. It's unbeliever. And he's like, even as, he goes, and, and the whole book was about pastoral staff that did that. And I kept writing, I kept making notes, I was going, unqualified, 
unqualified. If you are a pastor in a church professing Christ and living like the world, because I'm still trying to work things out, you're unqualified for the work that you're doing. Don't teach. Let not many of you become teachers because you bear a higher burden. Book drove me up a wall. I ended up writing like eight pages of notes while I was reading to it and giving it back to him. <laughs> he was like, thank you. I didn't know quite how to feel. Now I do. I'm like, well, I've done something good today. This is what this looks like. To sit here and say that my faith is my faith and there's no other standard beyond myself. Who's your God? You! When you are your God, what's the technical term for that? Or better yet, when something other than God is God, what's the technical term for that? It's idolatry. Idolatry of the highest order. Just because you're the idol doesn't make it any less of an idol. This is the lie that the modern world has told us. We don't, we don't have golden calves and these little altars to things. You know, we don't do that kind of idolatry. You're right, we don't. We make self-esteem our idolatry. We make self-expression our idolatry. We make everything else our idolatry. As long as it's not God upon his throne, we make that, it's, make, make that our idolatry. It's what Paul was getting on about in 2 Timothy. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That doesn't describe a world you have ever seen in any shape or form or fashion, does it at all? No, that would never describe the world that you live in. Why does it look like that? Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. The great danger James is warning you against is you defining Christianity. Why do we call it Christianity? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm serious, have, have, you, have you ever thought about that? It's a silly little question, but why is it called Christianity? Because it's based on Christ. Like, if I'm a philosopher, better yet, let's not do a philosopher. Let's just say I'm a builder, and I build great somethings. I build the greatest little plastic pointers on the planet. Hmm. And you come to me because you want to learn the great art of plastic pointer fingers. And I give you all the instructions tell you how to do it, walk you through it, show you how it's done, and then you go home and say, you know, I don't like the way he does that. I'm going to do it differently. And then you're surprised when your plastic pointer doesn't look as glorious as mine. What went wrong? You didn't follow what you were told. Now, are you making the plastic pointer the way I have told you? So are you a disciple of mine? Are you following the ways that I have shown? No. You may be following some ways. You may even come up with a halfway decent plastic pointer. But have you come up with the plastic pointer? No. That's why it's called Christianity. You're following after Christ. You are following the trail that he has laid down, that the apostles have illuminated, that they have instructed in. To sit there and say, I like that, but you're already in the wrong place. You have already found some form of godliness that you prefer, but you have denied any power that is present in the true gospel. Faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Because you are saved from something, the Holy Spirit has empowered you to be saved to something. So what does that look like? Let's continue. But someone may well say, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith 
by my works. This is where it's going to get fun. We'll put a verse into your head because this should never be an either or. Ever, 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 ever. Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons. In your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So what do you look at, Christian? What do you pay attention to? How do you make a determination in this world? We'll rewind to the section right before that. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Let me ask you a question. How would you rate the fruit of a person and or ministry that is casting out demons, prophesying in the name of God, and performing miracles? I mean, honest-to-goodness miracles. What would you say about that fruit? You'd be like, you know... It's some pretty good fruit. Looks awesome, doesn't it? I don't do that stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome fruit. That is exactly why your hard conversations are necessary. You have to have hard conversations with yourself. You have to have them with your children. You have to have them with your friends and neighbors. And every single hard conversation needs to include one very important question word. Do you know what it is? Can you take a wild guess? Why? Ask yourself, why? Ask your children, why? Ask your friends at church, why? Ask your pagan friends, why? Because from the outside looking in, things could be amazing. Beautiful, lovely buildings. Stone relief. Beautiful sculptures and carvings, flowers everywhere. Do you know what I'm describing? Cemeteries. They're awesome. If you think about them from an artistic perspective, the grass is always clean cut. There's flowers everywhere. It smells nice. People are polite and talking in hushed tones. You ever been yelled at at a cemetery? Seriously? <laughs> Everybody's always talking like this, being polite to one another and saying thank you and I'll step out of the way. And it's wonderful. It's dead. I'm serious. Everyone is being polite because they're all terrified of what's around them. Like they're all going to climb out of like some weird 60s movie. We're polite because we know something is weird going on and something more important. But at the end of the day, do you want to live there? No. That's what living life from the outside in looks like. Ask yourself why. This is the question I'm always asking my kids. They'll go do something dumb because they're children, and children, by definition, on a regular basis, do what? Something dumb. And by the way, what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. That rule is always in effect. Okay. And you know what I always say? What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> like, what was the desired outcome? And you know what they typically tell me? I don't know. Because <laughs> what am I trying to get them to do? Think through what did you think was going on? Why are you doing this? You're accomplishing something in life. Christian! The temptation of the world is to pay no attention to that. 
Don't ask any questions. Just do what you're told. You get this at work. You get this with the news. You get this. Just, just go along. The, the stream is going this way. The river flows that way. And you know what the easiest thing to do is? Just float along. What does the gospel tell you? Anchored. Standing firm. Rooted. Built up. Something that is not just and having so much fun until you run into a wall. How do you avoid that? By staying in the middle of the road, not going into the ditches and paying attention. In other words, asking yourself, why? That fruit would have looked awesome from those false teachers. They were wolves. How would you know the difference? The fruit that they produce isn't the effect of the ministry. It's the effect in the hearts, minds, and souls of its people. This is why you have to evaluate life and discipleship over the long term. This is why being a part of a, of a local church is so important. You need people that you know and who know you. That can look at you and ask you hard questions. Can someone just stop you in Walmart and be like, why are you talking to your kid like that? Is that conversation going to end well? I mean, is that, are you going to stop and evaluate? Or are you going to be like, you want me next? <laughs> why? I don't know you. Who do you think you are? Just roll up on somebody and start asking questions about my life and everything. I mean, unless you're me, in which case people just start telling you stories and ask my wife. She will verify this. Okay. Random people just start talking, telling me their life story in Walmart drives me up a wall. But beyond that, if you don't have that curse, then you don't know who they are. Now, what happens when it's your sister or your brother or it's one of the kids or it's your spouse or it's your parents or it's someone at church who's known you for 20 years? Now you have to stop and do what? I have to stop and think. I have to answer. I don't just leave me alone. Always ask yourself why. Because the outside can look beautiful and be a rotten corpse on the inside. The way you avoid that is making sure that the spirit is involved, that you are grounded upon the word, and that you are evaluating yourself on a regular basis. That's what James is going on about. Now, make sure that evaluation is done in the right direction. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Okay, we know God is one. Deuteronomy 6, right? The beginning of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We know that. That's why we believe that. Always remember this. There aren't a lot of surprises in the demonic realm because they have better theology than you do. They've been around longer than you've been around. They know the story. They just don't care. It's almost like, and what I always love is I tell people that, and they're like, well, why wouldn't they care if they know what's going to happen? Have you met people? I mean, seriously, have you met people? Just because you live longer, does that make you smarter? <laughs> Where's wisdom found? In fear of the Lord. If the demons aren't in a submitted, submitted fear of God, can they act wisely? It's amazingly no. It's almost like this stuff actually works together and makes sense as you go through it. So they believe and they shudder. Of course they do, because they know the truth. They just don't care. This is, again, why you have to ask yourself, why? Where am I going and why am I going there? And then figure out how do I get there? We know what the end is if we trust and we walk faithful. The thing that we forget is that nobody's getting away. I mean, Philippians 2. 
talking about beginning of Philippians 2, the work that Christ has done, his surrender, his crucifixion. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right, you ready? When Paul in Philippians 2 says every, he's using a very technical Greek term that means every. Every knee will bow. That means how many of the knees? All the knees. Every tongue will confess. That's how many of the tongues? It's all the tongues. What about the people under judgment? Jesus is Lord. What about the people being cast into the fire? Jesus is Lord. There are none who have forgotten. There are none that he will overlook. He will deal with all. We covered this on Wednesdays going through Revelation. I mean, what was left out, people that have been there? I mean, we got everything and everybody because he doesn't forget any of them. So yes, they shudder because they know. How do you make sure you don't, Christian? Because we've also talked about this before. This is Romans 1 in action. This is why the world hates you because they hate the God that you stand for. And they know what? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. That means they know, but they lie to who? Themselves and everybody else. Again, we've talked about this before. Who lies to you the most? You do. Do you think that changes just because they don't have Christ? If anything, that gets dialed up all the way to 11. Completely. So how do you check? What's the evaluation? Why? You want a great... This is the one. I just don't know how to talk to my friends about Jesus. Ask them why. And understand why you do what you do. I'm serious. Ask them why. Why did you do that? Why do you live your life in this manner? What do you think it's going to accomplish? That's just another variation on the question. Why? Well, because here's why I do what I do. Here's what I'm hoping to accomplish in my world. Here's what I'm falling short in and what I'm working on. And by the grace of God building up, what are you doing? Guess what you've just done? You just figured out a way that you can talk about Jesus because that's the center of your existence. If it's not, then you struggle because you don't want people to see how you live because you're not following. Christian, may it never be. This is why I read what I read in Romans 6 this morning. How are we who have died to sin to still walk in it? God is going to preserve us to the end if we are his people. But the goal should not be to be drug kicking and screaming into the kingdom. It should be to run in that direction because we are fleeing the sin and iniquity of our world. It is to trust in him and to cling to him in his work and to forsake the things that would pull us apart from it. So let's continue. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow? Verse 20. That's an insult from James, isn't it? It's a pretty big insult, actually. What is wisdom for James? Go back to verse, uh, verse 5 in chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if, if James is calling you foolish, what is he telling you you're not doing? You're not asking of God. Well, why wouldn't you ask of God? Because you hadn't thought about it. 
If you hadn't thought about asking of God, then what's true of your heart? This is actually a pretty big insult. This is making sure, again, James is checking your footing and your grounding. If you're going to argue that my faith is all that I need and it produces nothing in my life, I've been saved from something but saved to nothing, James would call you a what? Not just a fool, an unbeliever. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It's useless because it's dead on arrival. And James isn't the only one who says this. 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, talking about Christ, in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You are saved from something, and you are saved to something. Paul summarizes this in what I mentioned earlier in Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Always remember that the that is your faith. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, time out. I, John, James, Paul, not that I'm on their footing, but you know we're just talking about the same thing right this second, are not talking about perfection. Okay, please, this is my disclaimer of the morning, hear me. I am not talking about sinlessness. Even John is not. That long thing I just read from 1 John 3. All right, I was not a wonderful math student, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that 1 John 1 comes before 1 John 3. Okay, math person, can we stipulate that? Is that true? Okay, that is a true statement, just making sure. <laughs> 1 John one, if we say that we have no sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. So why does he say that we can't say we have no sin and then say we're sinless? Well, because the flow of the book is we say that we have no sin, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we are faithful to confess of our sins, he is faithful to forgive. Why? Because he is our advocate before the Father, First John 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, the one who makes our case before the throne, the one in whom we are guilty. Therefore, First John 3, we walk based on the declaration that Christ has made. This is the, you have been saved, Christ has declared you not guilty and righteous before the throne of God. You are being saved by the power, of, uh, power and grace of his spirit. He is working in you and carrying you through to the day of completion because of the declaration he has made on your behalf. And you will be saved because he will bring that work to a good completion by his work according to his promise in his power. You are living for the one who has rescued you. You have died to yourself, died to the world, and made, been made alive in Christ. Therefore, you are different. New heart, new mind, new motivations, 
sorry, new motivations, new desires, therefore new actions. If your faith does not have any works attached to it, James's argument is that you have no faith because that faith would have been born of God and empowered by God, and he would not have just done this one thing and be like, all right, bye, see you later, have fun storming the castle, let me know how that works out for you in the end, kids, see what happened. But because he was at work in you, he is at work in you. That is the work that James is talking about. That is the argument that he is making. Even Paul gives you a great rundown of this in Romans 7. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of, of, the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with the flesh, the law of sin. Who will free me from this body of death? Who knows what Romans 8.1 says, which is the very next chapter. Thanks be to God that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, Paul is talking about the war. He's talking about the fight. And I've told you right now, get comfortable with it. You are going to fight until the day you die. Learn to love it. Just learn to enjoy it. Learn to look at your sin and be like, oh yeah, we get to go 10 rounds today. This is going to be fun. Because that's what you get. Because this side of Eden and this side of the veil, that's the war you have daily. Because while you have been transformed... You are still struggling in a sinful, fallen world, and you are still breaking old patterns and dealing with the old you that just doesn't want to quite die like he's supposed to. So you fight, and you war, and you trust. Because as you fight in war, you know that, is, that it is Christ is the reason you're fighting and warring. I've asked you this before. Why doesn't the pagan care about his sin? He doesn't care about God. What do you mean there's a God who's going to judge my sin? Shh, stop talking about that. I've done a good job of hiding that. Don't bring it up anymore. So I don't care what my sin is. I don't care what you think about me because who is my God? I am. Why do you care about your sin? Because you've been changed. New heart, new mind, leading to new battles, therefore leading to new actions. The fact that you care about your sanctification is evidence that the Spirit is at work that Christ has redeemed. Which is why I said get comfortable with the fight, because it's what you're going to do as long as God loves you. And if he has loved you, he is going to do what? He who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to a day of completion. So because he has loved you, he will love you, which means you're going to keep having this fight over and over again until either Jesus comes back or God calls you home, one way or the other. James is now going to give you a good example. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? Yes. Yes, he was, but... <laughs> Not in a working way. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's go to Romans 4. What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? 
Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. What's the punchline of that? The promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. But, 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 when James is talking about justified, he is talking about proof. We've already covered in James, how did you get here? Who is James? Half-brother of Jesus. James was a believer from day one. Came out of the womb, trusting in Christ for his salvation, right? No, not even a little bit. You always remember, go through your Gospels. All those little throwaway lines are never throwaway. For not even his brothers were believing in him. Remember, they're insulting him. Well, why don't you go down there and do something big and show off for everybody? Yeah. How do you go from, this kid is driving me nuts to, my brother is God. <laughs> I mean, that's new. <laughs> I mean, you have siblings. Think about how far you would have to go from, I don't even like what you're doing, to God. (laughs) Yeah, quite a ways. That's where James has been. What got him there? The work of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of sin, and the empowering gospel of grace. This is how he's gotten there. Why does that matter? Because there's no other entry point. James knows that. You know that. That's why he's telling you to do what? Lean into him, ask for wisdom so that you may then do what? Evaluate how you walk in this world so that you would be faithful unto the God who has saved you. James is assuming who you are and how you got there. That's why he's caring about your walk now. He's talking about the proof of your faith. We know that Abraham was justified by faith. How do you know that? I'm serious. How do you know that? God tells us by, by the righteous man shall live by faith. How do you know Abraham was a righteous man? Because he lived by faith. But how do you know he lived by faith? Because who do you know is marching their kid up the mountain to sacrifice them to God? Are you doing that? I, I, I mean, think about the things you've argued with God about. Hey, I need one of your kids. Okay, come on, boy. We got things to do. Get the wood. <laughs> I mean, that's the conversation that's had. Get your stuff. Let's go. We got things to do. Um, Dad? Yeah? I see the wood. I see that you're carrying some coals to light the fire. Um, What, pray tell, are we sacrificing? Lord will provide. You got to know Isaac's walking up the mountain carrying the bundle of wood going, there's you and there's me. And... <laughs> Lord will provide. That's faith. Shown in the actions. That's a new heart, new mind leading to new actions. What's it a fulfillment of? It's a fulfillment of the prayer of David in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. What would that look like? Walking in whatever God has called you to. Verse 22. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. That's not a new idea for James, is it? Isn't that what he called you to in the first chapter? 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Would being asked to sacrifice your child to the Lord be considered a trial? I think that would be a bit trying. Yeah, I think we can go with that. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why does endurance prove that you're perfect and complete and lack in nothing? Who will be saved? He who perseveres to the end. Having endurance means you made it to the end of the race. By making it to the end of the race, the is the only way to prove that you're actually going to make it to the end of the race. Endurance is standing firm because endurance is what the Holy Spirit is doing for you, which is getting you to the end, which is what God has promised to all those whom he loves. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. The work of God worked. It actually accomplished something. You have been saved from something, your sin, your iniquity, your degradation. You have been saved to something, a new life in Christ, a walking faithfully in the good works that he has prepared. Now, here's the really fun part. Do you get to pick your good works? (laughs) You might wish you could on occasion, but this is why understanding the totality of your life as an offering to God is so important, because this is what gets lost in our modern world, is we make modern life about anything other than God anything. It's about a paycheck. It's about buying new toys. It's about people viewing you well. It's about getting faith. It's about anything other than God. Your family is an offering unto God. Those are your good works. Your job is an offering unto God. That is part of your good works. You don't work for a paycheck. You work unto the Lord. The paycheck's a bonus. The paycheck is how God makes sure you don't starve to death. Go team. Now, the world is doing everything in its power to make sure that's not the case anymore, but, you know, we're not going to go down that road. (laughs) You were thinking it. I just said it out loud. It's one of my spiritual gifts. You think it, I say it. That way you can feel like a good person, even though you're not. (laughs) And I'm always going to remind you of that every chance I get. But this is is your, your good works that you offer unto God. Your love of brother, your concern over neighbor is your good work offered unto God. Now, do you get to come across a a beaten traveler on the side of the highway that you get to stick up at a Holiday Inn for a weekend? On a regular basis, no. But do you get to be polite to people? Do you get to actually live with joy and not be beaten down by the news and the discussions that go on in our popular culture? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you don't watch the news anymore because it's too depressing? (laughs) Now think about that. Think about the world that most of humanity lives in. It's just a constant bludgeoning. Where's the joy in it? Now, Christian, why do you have any? Welcome to your good works. Welcome to how you walk in this place. Welcome to carrying your light in the darkness. Yeah! Government's corrupt! Have you welcomed anybody to the planet lately? Because that's kind of been the story of humanity, right? Government's corrupt, so now what? We do the best that we can because we don't live for our government. We don't live for what they take from us. We live for God. We trust in Him. And there's coming a judgment where even that work will be undone and a kingdom in which all of these things will actually be good. 
think about this. If nothing else is an encouragement to the world, think about this as a selling point. The government will be competent. (laughs) In God's kingdom, the government will be efficient. (laughs) Come on now, April's coming soon. Tax time's coming along. Have you ever filled out your forms and been like, this government form is so efficient and wonderful? (laughs) And I say that as someone who does his own taxes. (laughs) See what happens? We laugh about that, but that's the corruption that sin brings. That's the work that God undoes. That's the security and hope that he brings, is that all of the curse of sin will be undone. The way we live, the way we think, the way that everything functions. So, we'll continue on. Verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Time out. This is what people, this, what's our number one rule for reading your Bible? Never, ever, ever read one verse. This is why. Because people will read this and be like, see, James just contradicted Paul and Peter and the entire New Testament. Everybody's going to hell. Now what do we do? Read this in light of what? Everything we have just been covering. What do we mean when we say that a man is justified by works? First of all, as much as I love my NASB, it's not a good translation. What it should say is you see that a man is being justified by works and not by faith alone. That change how you understand that verse just a little bit? You have been saved. You are being saved. How do you know, Christian? Don't make me break out my Whitney Houston songs. I will do it. You know I will. How do you know if he really loves you? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to go hang in. Okay. <laughs> Sit in the corner for just a minute. No, but I'm serious. How do you know? This is what I always talk to you. Don't pay attention to the song. Don't pay attention to how you feel. Don't remember the time you got held under the water long enough. Just pay attention to what? What is going on now? What do you care about now? Are you trying to live faithfully now? Is the Holy Spirit bringing conviction of sin now? If he is, congratulations, there's your works. There's his active work in the fact that he is justifying you in the here and now, which is where you live all of your life. That's the faith. So you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone, is being justified. We're talking about salvation and sanctification. Let me rewind back to 1 John 3 that we read earlier. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. What John means is not like, oh, look, there's my sin. I can't do it. I'm trying to, but God is holding me back, like some weird Star Trek tractor beam or something. When you find yourself in sin, Christian, do you just wake up and be like, oh, that was fun. Probably shouldn't do that every weekend. Or is it, oh my goodness, what am I doing? What was that? What was I even thinking? What was I paying attention? See, there's what we mean when we say you cannot sin. There's no love there. There's no joy there. There's no peace there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's over there looking at you going, what did you think was going to (laughs) happen? Did you really think that was going to give you something that God couldn't provide? Did you really think that was going to provide what God is supposed to provide? And the answer from him and you is what? No. So what are we going to do next time? Good job. Let's keep moving. Again, as James has pointed out, go back to chapter 1. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights 
with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his, will, of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. That's why James cares about the proving of your faith. Let's go back to John, uh, 1 John 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. It has not appeared yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone has this hope fixed on him. I'm sorry. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, why? Why, 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 why? Well, I'm fighting against my sin because I want the other people in church to think I'm good at this. Wrong answer. I don't do this in public because people will think bad of me. Wrong answer. I don't live like that because that's just bad. Wrong answer. I fight that because God has saved me. No! Now we've got a foundation. Now I got an anchor that when the temptation comes will keep me holding firm. Now I've got something that's solid that I can sink my feet into that I know won't be taken away from me. A war against my sin because God has died for me and loves me and he is fighting with me every single day to purify me and to make me what he has already declared me to be. And I can't know that and live some other way. That's my starting point and my foundation. That's where I've got to be day in and day out, which is why I tell you, have the conversation. Look at that sinner in the mirror and ask what? Why? Why? What am I doing? Why am I doing? What did I think was going to happen? And let's go from there and do that every single time. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Yeah. Just like Abraham above. Why did she do that? Because she was more afraid of God than she was the people of Jericho. She was more afraid of his judgment than their anger. It's almost like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it will guide your paths because you will be more concerned with his kingdom than the places of this earth. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, this is Hebrews 11, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. How do you know she had faith? She proved it. She was different because of the work of God, and we know that because of how she lived. 1 Peter 4 summarizes this quite well. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Long way of saying that whatever you eat or do, 
Whatever you say, however you live, do what? Do all to the glory of God. Because that's whose power you rest in and that's whose power you walk in. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Duh. You want a good example of this? I'll add to your homework. Parable of the talents. They were given these gifts by God. What were they supposed to do? Go do something with it. Don't just sit there. Parable of the soils. They were given this gospel message by God. What are they supposed to do with it? Do something. Don't just sit there. The wheat, the tares, the virgins, the marriage, all of these things. It's almost like Jesus was telling you that you'll know that you're in because the Spirit will empower and work will be accomplished. In other words, you have been saved from something and you have been saved. There it just goes away right at the wrong time. To something. That's what James is concerned about. So Christian, let's answer the question. If I'm saved by grace through faith, why do you keep asking that I do all this stuff? Because how can we who are dead to sin continue to still walk in it? How can we who have been loved of God and cleansed of all unrighteousness continue to return back to the mud and be filthy again? And how can we, when we recognize that we have fallen back into the mud and realized our filth, do anything other than climb back up onto the road and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me and carry on? Knowing what? That all who come to him, he will forgive. And that he who has began a good work will bring it to the day of completion. Our hope is in him. Our trust is in him because our power for our world is in him. Don't live anywhere else. The answer is because faith moves things. It moves people. It moves hearts. It moves minds. It moves God's people day in and day out. Rest there because resting there is resting in him. Let's pray.